over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be digging into the life of Christ. And um, some of these things, for some of you, I know will be just a refresher. And then other things, uh, for some of you, will be brand new. And uh, either way, again, we are either building the foundation or we are shoring up the foundation. And both of those things are, are extremely important. Um, I, I think tonight, especially out of even this whole series, this session uh, tonight is, is really one of the most important topics uh, that, that we deal with. And, and I'll explain this more in just a moment. Not necessarily from, from a biblical standpoint, even though from a biblical standpoint it's really important, but based on, based on our, our Christian culture, I'll put it that way, this, this is a really significant topic. Um, many people do not have a proper understanding of who Jesus really is. The Muslim and Jewish people accept Jesus as a prophet, but not God. Mormons, Unitarians, Jehovah Witnesses completely deny his deity, saying that he is less than God. And then the most common thing and that's the thing that applies probably to us more often than not, is that many people uh, divide God up into three persons and say that Jesus is one of three parts of the Godhead. And, and so I want to I try to give you a little bit of a visual to express what I mean by the fact that, yes, this is an important topic, period, but it's it, it's, I think it's made more important because of what I just read to you. Because most of you are well aware that as apostolics, we are in a, we are in a minority when it comes to this. So, so here's the challenge, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to incorporate a little bit of help here from a couple of people. So Shane, I'm going to start with you if you don't mind. And I think this verse, just come stand right here. I think this verse is in the Bible or in your notes, but that Shane is going to stand here. And, and basically I want you to think of Shane as representing Deuteronomy six and four. Anybody quote Deuteronomy six and four? Praise God. That's a very encouraging response. So I want you to, that, that's what he's going to stand here and represent. And then and then, uh, Brother Gus, will you come just stand right here and face them as well? And, and so I know that verse is in the Bible, but, but Gus is going to stand here and kind of represent the Bible, okay? So understand that that verse, which is towards the beginning of the Bible, was written within a, within a context. And I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. And, and so we have kind of all of Scripture... But then, I need one more person for this. Uh, Brother Stephen, you come help me. So here's, here's our challenge, right? We have all these things in Scripture that we're trying to understand from the concept of the Trinity versus the oneness of God, right? And the problem is, so and I'm going to come back. Some of you... Uh, I'm going to try not to keep referencing all of you that know all I'm talking about and just teach, okay? You know I struggle with that. So the, here's the problem. We got, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. We got the Bible as kind of as a whole. 
But now you and I, we are looking back through, and just, just kind of hold that like that if you would. You and I are looking back through this concept of the Trinity that was post, and I'm getting ready to read to you something from the Encyclopedia Britannica, not from, a, not from an apostolic resource, from the Encyclopedia Britannica, okay? That's unbiased. Okay, but our problem is we are look. We now are sort of forced, if you will, not totally, but I think you know what I mean. We we are forced into looking at Scripture through this frame that we've been given called the Trinity, and so we're we're trying to understand and look at things and explain things. What you have to understand is in biblical times they weren't looking through that filter. They weren't trying to figure out how does the baptism of Jesus and the voice and the dove and all that, how do you, how do you explain? There was no Trinity. That was not, they were not looking at that scenario through this frame. It wasn't there. And then I, I, I brought him up here not only because obviously it's a relevant verse, but it's also kind of a go-to verse for us as Oneness apostolics. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And the problem is, we're looking at that verse through this frame. That's our big verse, right? That's not what, that verse was not about the Trinity. That verse, that verse was about the fact that the children of Israel were surrounded that every nation they were surrounded by and the nations they became slaves in or in bondage to all believed in multiple gods. Some of them hundreds of gods. So when the Lord gives them that commandment, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, it wasn't so that we got it. It's our candy stick as oneness. That's, it wasn't even about that. Does it apply? Do we use it? Yeah, but we're using it through that framework when that's not what God first gave it as. So I want you to understand that, that we're about to spend this whole session (laughs) trying to deal with something that really we shouldn't have to deal with. Because when the word was being given, as we know it, as we have it, There wasn't that filter. There wasn't that framework. Well, how do you explain this? Again, I already said, and we'll we'll, we'll come back to this, I think, probably in a couple weeks. But, you know, as as somebody that believes in the Trinity, they look at the baptism of Jesus. You got Jesus being baptized. You got the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. And you got a voice from heaven. And to them, there you go. Yeah, the problem is you're looking through something. Thank you. That didn't exist. Thank you, gentlemen. Because listen to this. Here it is. This Again, this is from the encyclopedia. I'm not reading from some kind of author who believes what we believe. This is a neutral, unbiased article. Neither the word Trinity. I I promise I'm reading. I I can give you the link if you need it. Neither the word Trinity nor the explicit doctrine appears in the New Testament. 
nor did Jesus and his followers intend to contradict the Shema in the Hebrew Scriptures, which is what we just quoted. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Again, I'm not saying that Deuteronomy 6 and 4 does not apply. We don't use it. You understand? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the context of it is way bigger than whether or not there's a trinity or one God. The earliest Christians, however, had to cope with the implications of the coming of Jesus Christ and of the presumed presence and power of God among them, i.e. the Holy Spirit, whose coming was connected with the celebration of Pentecost. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were associated in such New Testament passages as the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And in the, and in the apostolic benediction, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Thus, the New Testament established the basis of, for the Trinity, for the doctrine of the Trinity. So the article is actually contradicting its own self. It's not in there, but it is in there. I did a little more reading on the Trinity today than I've ever done. And I got to tell you, the more I read, I'm trying to be unkind. The more I read, the more confused I was. Not about what I believe with one God. I mean about trying to understand it. And the complexity with which it is tried to be explained is is really challenging and I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer but I'm not the dullest either so the doctrine developed gradually listen now again I'm reading Encyclopedia Britannica the doctrine developed gradually over several centuries and through many controversies initially both the requirements of monotheism inherited from the Hebrew scriptures And the implications of the need to interpret the biblical teaching to Greco-Roman religions seem to demand that the divine in Christ as the word or logos be interpreted as subordinate to the supreme being. So the the very, in essence, what is what Greco-Roman is, that's about multiple gods. So it was an attempt to find this balance between Hebrews and their monotheism, believing in one God, and then the Romans and their believing in multiple gods. So we're trying to bridge the gap, and so it gradually develops. So here's the bottom line. As I've read from the Encyclopedia Britannica, you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible. However, let's, let's just be honest. If I'm not, I meant to double check this before I said this, but I'm pretty sure I'm correct. And if I'm not, you can help me out. You won't find the word oneness in the Bible either. So I'm going to do my best the remainder of this lesson to, to use neither one of those terms because it's not necessarily, uh, 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 genuine. For me to make a big deal out of the word Trinity not being in the Bible and then harp on the word oneness when that's not in there either. So, again, from this point on, I've already used it some, but from this point on, in that context, I'm going to try not to use that word and let's stick as best we can with simply biblical terms. 
But of course, as many of you already know, or you've experienced, or maybe you've experienced this because you were a part of a religion that believed in the Trinity, ultimately, the explanation is, it's a mystery, you can't understand it. Well, we're going to look at that a little more in depth here in a few minutes and see if that really is the case. If there is one truth, if there is one sure truth in Scripture, it is that God is one. There are, I'm just going to be honest with you, and, and, and hopefully I don't cause trouble for some of you. Hopefully you're mature enough to understand what I'm saying. There are things we believe very strongly that we are very adamant about that, in essence, they are based on principles. And we have put principles and various scriptures together to come to that conclusion. But this is not that. <laughs> All throughout Scripture, we find the theme that there is one God. We all just quoted it a moment ago, but I will come to it again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Isaiah 45, verses 5 through 6, and then verse 22 says this, I am the Lord, and there is... None else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not, though thou hast not known me. I, I want you to... I'm never going to get done if I keep chasing rabbit trails. I want you to notice there is no God beside me. So if Jesus is on the right hand of God as the second person of the Trinity, what about this verse? Because here he says, there is no God beside me. That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. So the belief that there is one God manifested in three different ways fits with what we just read. The idea that God is three separate co-equal persons contradicts what we just read. The term holy one, and, and, and that's holy one, those two words, are ca- I mean those capitalized, because you will find it one place where it's not capitalized, but you will find the term Holy One 51 times throughout Scripture. Combination of Old and New Testament. You will not find anywhere in the Bible where it references the Holy Three. It is always the Holy One. John in his revelation, the vision in his revelation, verse chapter 4 and verse number 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne. 
a throne. I know this is not preaching, but a little feedback is still all right. So somebody say a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. In the book of Revelation, there is one time where you will find the word throne in the plural. One time. And it doesn't take hardly any digging into that verse to quickly find out that John's reference to those thrones is not about in heaven. It's more in relation to those that are used as far as ruling and reigning with Jesus. Again, it, is a, it does not take hardly any reading or research to conclude that the plural there has nothing to do with the Godhead. On the contrary, you will find the word throne singular. So one time you'll find thrones that is very easily to see that it has nothing to do with the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. But 39 times, 39 times in the book of Revelation, you will hear John reference the throne. Not thrones, plural, throne, singular. So, so here's, here's, let me insert this. Here, here's the deal. And uh, I, I've had this communicated to me. Well, you, you know, what you guys believe, you are, you are in the minority. And the implication is you should change what you believe because you're in the minority. Okay? I'm not sure where the basis of that comes from. I should change what I believe or not believe based on what I understand the Word of God to say. But here's the point. Let's go all the way back to Deuteronomy 6 and 4. Who was the minority? (laughs) The children of Israel were a significant minority. They were surrounded and many times they were in bondage by nations that believed in multiple gods. Again, not three gods. Many of them believed in hundreds of gods. And yet God, first commandment, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. If you and I should base what we believe on the majority, then the children of Israel should have based what they believed on the majority. The fact that they were in the minority did not make them wrong. And the fact that we are in the minority is not what makes us wrong. Here's the bottom line, folks. And this is going to be a little bit of a, I guess, maybe a strong statement. But we, we cannot accept the idea of the Trinity. And it's not acceptable that, we, well, there's just varying views. This is absolutely one of the most significant topics. Again, I, yeah, the deity of God and all that is very significant. But in, in my opinion, and acknowledging my opinion is, it is compounded because of the analogy I, I, I gave to you. you. You believe what? You don't believe No. The doctrine of the Trinity states that there are three separate, distinct persons in the Godhead 
one of the Father, one of the Son, and one of the Holy Ghost. The doctrine of the Trinity states that these three persons are co-eternal and co-equal. That is, all three persons have always existed and all three persons share equal power. So, of course, let's look at what Scripture has to say about these things. If the Father and the Holy Spirit are two separate personalities, then here's the question, who is the Father of Jesus? Let's see what the Scripture says. Matthew 1 and 18, The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of who? The Holy Ghost. Verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. Now, my understanding of biology is that the male involved in conception is the father. According to these two verses I just read to you, who was involved in the conception in Mary's womb? The Holy Ghost. So if the doctrine of the Trinity is true, then God the Father is not the Father of Jesus. The Holy Ghost would have to be the Father of Jesus because Mary conceived by the Holy Ghost. Does Jesus have two fathers? Or are the Father and the Holy Ghost the same? Malachi 2.10 says, going to be a very deep verse here, you ready? I mean, it's going to take you time to process. Have we not all one Father? <laughs> I, know, I know some of you have been adopted, but biologically speaking, there's only one that brought you into the world. So, God the Father, again, according to these two verses, if the Father and the Spirit are separate, separate co-equal persons, then God the Father is not the Father. He may be the adopted Father, but He's not the Father. And then you want to really complicate things. What does Isaiah 9 and 6 say? Talking about Jesus, right? Can we all, I mean, I think everybody pretty much agrees without any issue that Isaiah 9 and 6 is talking about Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And what are one of the things that Isaiah 9 and 6 says he is? The everlasting so according to that, I'm not trying to be unkind or mean or foresee. I really, that's not my intent. But according to that, there's not, then there's not even two fathers. There are three fathers. Nobody can be the father of themselves.
is a son. Again, co-equal, co-eternal. Let me come back to that point in a moment. If Jesus and the Father are two separate persons, personalities, Jesus could not be co-equal with the Father because, here's a couple examples, Jesus, the Son of God, prayed to the Father. A person would not pray to another who has the same power and authority as himself. To me, one of the most well-known passages in the Bible is one of those that demonstrates this point very well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Whoever believeth Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The next verse says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through Him might have life. If you are sending someone... If I don't have any authority over you and I tell you go do something, you can look at me and laugh your head off. Or just ignore me. But then there are people, I have the authority because we are not co-equal. There's four people I know, for sure, that I pretty much can tell them what to do and I expect it to be done. We are not equal. So if if the Father sent the Son... I really, this is going to come, I'm, honestly, I am, I'm trying to sort of just stir your minds up here. I'm not trying to be unkind. I really, I, I really am not. But if they're co-equal, if I was Jesus, I would have looked back at the Father and said, Hey, you go yourself. You're going to put me through all that? You go. You love them so much, you go. Jesus declared, here's another point, Jesus declared that his miraculous ministry was not to be attributed to the Son of God, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works, John 14, 10. So if it's three separate co-equal persons, Jesus Christ on this earth should have taken the credit for what he did. And yet he didn't. He said it's the Father in me. He's the one that does these works. And then here's one other point along these lines. There are some things that only the Father knows. Matthew 24, 36, but of the day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That's not co-equal to me. If somebody knows something somebody else doesn't know, that's not co-equal. So again, I've already said this, but the ultimate reply is, well, ultimately it is a mystery. and We can't really understand it. Well, again, let's see if the Bible has anything to say. I think it might. Romans 1.20 For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world. Get this next part. Are clearly seen. Clearly seen. 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. I want you to notice, it did not just leave it broad there that, that uh, these things, you know, these things, whatever these things are, are, are to be understood. They're clearly seen. It clearly tells us that one of those things that's to clearly be seen and understood is the Godhead. It is not a mystery that we can't understand. Let me just give you one quick To me, what is one of the simple things, again, it says the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. So so things in creation. I think most of you probably already know this, but quickly, you and I are made up of three parts. Hmm, there's that number three. Three parts. We are body, soul, and spirit. I don't know if everybody does it this way, but Bishop did it this way and it seems the right way. And so now I do it. If I perform the graveside for some for someone that's passed away. Goes something like this. I commit the body of so and so back to the dust of the earth, back to the ground from which it came. I commit the spirit of so and so back to God, which gave it. And I commit the soul into the hands of a just and a living God because our soul is the real us. These physical features, that's not the real you. That's why I've seen people that were very attractive features wise and you start talking to them or you hang around them and they are not anywhere near as pretty as they look. And I've seen other people that weren't necessarily the most attractive people, but you get around them and they are so sweet and kind and godly. That's, that's the real you. But back to the application here, you and I are three parts, but we are only one person. God manifests himself, has manifested himself in three ways, but he's one God. Let's talk about the incarnation. According to Webster's, again, not a theological source here, good old Webster's Dictionary. Incarnation is the union of divinity with humanity in Jesus Christ. It is the embodiment of a deity or spirit in some earthly form. So I I want you to notice this as a part of this point. You will not find the term anywhere in Scripture, God the Son. You will find the term God the Father. It's in there. You will not find the term God the Son. I happened, as I was doing some more of my study and researching today, I came across a video clip. This guy was doing these seven-minute sermons, and and he was doing some on the Trinity, for the Trinity, and, and he before God, he specifically said, he made my point, but then twisted it. He said, you cannot find the term God the Son in the Bible, but you can find the term the Son of God. And he went on to basically imply that they're the same thing. They're not the same thing. 
There is no place in Scripture where you can find the term God the Son. Son of God? Yes. God the Son? No. John 3.18 He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The word begotten, again, according to Webster, simply means brought into existence by or as if by a parent. So how does that fit that the three parts of the Trinity are co-equal, co-eternal? Back to the point I just made, you can't find the term God the Son, but 48 times in Scripture you will find the term Son of God. You also, with one exception, and I'm going to explain that in just a second, you will only find the term Son of God one time in the Old Testament. Those 48 times, if I'm not mistaken, those 48 times are the ones just in the New. So you could add the one in the Old, it would be 49. So again, the one in the Old Testament is found in Daniel, and it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were in the fiery furnace. And what does the king say? We threw in three, but I see four, and the fourth is like the Son of God. Again, like I said about the thrones reference in Revelation, it does not take very little digging to see that that translation by the great King James translators is not really an accurate translation. So it was not referring to the Son of God in the sense of the second person of the Trinity. So again, you can find that pretty easily on yourself. Doesn't take, I'm not talking about something you've got to dig and dig to figure out. It's pretty easy to get. So that being said, you only find the Son of God referenced in the New Testament. Where was God for those first couple or where was Jesus for those first couple of thousand years if he's co-eternal? Whereas the bottom line is I'm I'm gonna I I just need to stop saying it, but I can't help it because I just honestly I'm not trying to belittle anybody. I'm trying to I'm trying to help you and, and, the, and I, at the risk of coming across that way, I'm, if, if, if they were three separate co-equal, then, then, the, then Jesus and the Holy Ghost got gypped for a couple thousand years. Because they didn't get any attention. <laughs> it was all the Father. Unless, of course, you believe there's one God who throughout time has manifested himself in different ways. So, honestly, if you take away the frame, how much plainer can it get than this? 1 Timothy 3.16 And without controversy. What? What? Without controversy? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. 
That word mystery there is it's a secret. It's not it's not mystery in the sense of cannot be known or it's 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 in the sense of. I, I don't know that I really should be using this right here, right now, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's kind of in the sense of, of, uh, of uh, I'm not the best superhero guy. My kid, a couple of my kids more know all that stuff than I do, but, but uh, kryptonite is, is Superman's, that's his weakness, right? So that, you know, it, it, in this context, if you figure out that Superman's secret weakness is kryptonite, right, that... It's not a mystery once you know it. Hey, this is his. It's like in sports, you know, in, in basketball. When 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 I was especially playing in high school, you, the coach would help you see. Listen, this guy always goes to his right. When he's trying to get to the basket dribbling, he goes to his right. So I want you to take away his right and make him go left. You learned his secret. Not that it was something that couldn't be understood. You just had to learn it. Great is the mystery of godliness. God, God. Again, folks, I don't even need the message Bible to make it plainer to you than the King James on this one. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, Preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amplified this way, great and important and weighty, we confess, is the hidden truth of godliness. He, God, God, He, God, was made visible in human flesh, justified and vindicated in the Holy Spirit, was seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. One God. First John 5, 7. Here we go again. You just... It, it's literally in black and white. There are three, and I want you to notice here, and just, I want you to, I'll point it out, but I want you to notice these verses sound very similar, but there's, there's a key part that is very different. Verse 5 says, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and we know that the Word was made flesh, so that's Jesus, and the Holy Ghost, and these three, what? Are one. Next verse, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If, in fact, the doctrine of the Trinity was the truth, then verse number 7 should have said, The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and they agree in one. There's a big difference between three people agreeing and being in unity versus three people being one. But again, the next verse clearly contrasts because it says it, Completely differently. They agree in one. So when I look at the fact that it says it differently in those two verses, and I go back to verse 7, I say, okay, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Father, Word, Holy Ghost are one. Let's look at a couple of things here that throughout Scripture, and we've already touched on one or two, I think, but throughout Scripture where it is said 
something as about God. And then the same thing is said about Jesus. So, for example, here, Isaiah 44 and 6. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I, I, in the context of the Trinity, this would be God the Father speaking. I am the first, I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Well, watch this, Revelation 1, 8 and verse 11. Jesus, Jesus, if you got a Bible with red letters, it's in red letters. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Verse 11 also. I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. So we either have two first and lasts, which I don't know how you can have two firsts and lasts. Or there's one God manifested in three ways. I'm just going to reference these verses if you want to write them down. This is stuff I've added that's not in your book. So if you want to write it down, I encourage you to do so. Isaiah 40 and 28. Also Isaiah 43 and 15. God says he is the creator. Colossians 1 and 16 says that Jesus is the creator. We've only got one world. So there can only be one creator of that one world. You can't have two separate people both claiming to be the creator. But you can have one God who manifests himself in three ways being the creator. Another one is the Savior. Isaiah 43 and 11 says, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. That's the Old Testament. Again, in the context of the Trinity, that would be God the Father. In the New Testament, one place, and there's several, but one of the places, Titus 3 and 6, says that Jesus is the Savior. Now, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to be ridiculous here, but again, if there's more than one, if there's three separate persons, then Isaiah should have said that he was God a savior. And Titus three and six should have said he's Jesus a savior. But when you say the, that narrows it down to one. One of the beauties of Scripture, one of the things that builds our faith is prophecy and fulfilled prophecy. Isaiah 40 and verse 3. This relates to John the Baptist. So not only was it foretelling John, but it's also foretelling the Messiah. Listen to what it says. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. So that's John the Baptist. And here is what that voice says. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And that word Lord there is Jehovah. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So when John the Baptist stood there that day and this prophecy was fulfilled and he said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He was not referencing the second person 
of the Trinity. He was referencing God who had took on fleshly form to become the sacrifice for our sins. I close with this, Colossians 2, verse 8. Paul says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Listen to this next phrase. After the tradition of men. After the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Not a third of the Godhead, all of the Godhead. And ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. The New Century Version says those verses this way. Be sure that no one leads you away with false and empty teaching that is only human, which comes from the ruling spirits of this world and not from Christ. All of God, all of God, all of God lives in Christ fully even when Christ was on the earth. And you have a full and true life in Christ who is ruler over all rulers and power. Now, let me acknowledge this in in the sake of full disclosure. The the, the analogy I gave you in the beginning in in the context of of Deuteronomy 6 and 4 and, and the time of the children of Israel... The same thing would apply here. When Paul was writing this letter to the saints at Colossus, he wasn't talking about the Trinity. Because there wasn't one. But I believe, I believe in God's infinite wisdom. He had Paul write these words to that church because they would have a very significant application for you and I. That we would not be spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, the rudiments of the world. I said it earlier, I meant to make this point earlier. 325, the Council of Nicaea, it's around that time that the doctrine of the Trinity was sort of credited for coming into existence. My study, my estimation is the last apostle to die, died somewhere around a hundred, give or take. That's what I've read. I don't even need my calculator on my phone for this one. 300 plus A.D., the last apostle died at 100. 200 years. Remember what the Encyclopedia Britannica said, it gradually... 200 years after those that walked with Jesus and were with him firsthand. 200 years after the last one was gone. This, I think that fits the tradition of men. And it is a very strong tradition. I said at the beginning of this lesson, this is probably one of the most important topics. And I've tried to be honest in at least my opinion about it. That's not because it's necessarily the most important topic for you. 
But if you don't have a foundation of what I've just communicated to you tonight. Let me tell you this. I got to quit. Anybody ever heard? This is a great for a person that really doesn't know a whole lot about the Bible. This is a great analogy and works well. I standing here before you. I first I was a son. Then I became a husband. And now I'm a father. So I'm a husband. I'm a son. I'm a father. How many people am I? One. A person that really doesn't know a whole lot about the Bible, that's about all they need. And light bulbs go off. But I'm going to tell you right now because I've experienced it firsthand. Somebody that knows what the Bible says, even though, in my opinion, they're misinterpreting it, that don't do anything at all. And so this is very important because if you don't have a foundation to stand on, I promise you it's going to be challenged. And folks, it matters. Speaking in tongues, while not all Christians believe that it is the evidence of salvation, speaking in tongues has become more and more common among Christianity. It used to be kind of a really odd thing. It was only, but now there's people of all denominations. There's Catholics that have been known to receive the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. So while we may be a little different because we believe it's not just a give or take thing, it's the evidence, tongues in and of itself is not... What did Jesus say? You will be hated above all men for what? My name's sake. And I believe that directly connects to this topic tonight. I was told not too long ago by someone that the Spirit of the Lord was grieved because of the fact this is what I teach. They very sincerely told me that, trying to help me. My point to you is you need a foundation to stand on. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The very simple summary that often gets used is He is Father in creation, Son in redemption, and Spirit in regeneration. Father, thank you for this time together tonight. I pray, God, that, again, this is more than just information and head knowledge. Let there be true revelation and understanding that settles in our hearts and lives. By your grace, Lord, let the seed of your word be rooted and grounded in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Let me just remind you, you know, most of you probably know and you've read and seen emails and read the signs, but I'll help you out. If you are uh, signed up for finding my place, you have found your place right here. You don't have to go anywhere. Um, I'm assuming you didn't sign up for Life of Christ twice, so you don't need to know where that is. If you signed up for spiritual preparation, that's in the chapel. And if you signed up for Be Ye Holy, that is in the chosen room. If you don't know where those are, the chosen room, the simplest thing to do is you go out the back doors, down the stairs. It's the room at the bottom of the stairs. The chapel, you go out the doors to my left, go down the stairs, make a U-turn, come into the foyer, start down to the hall and go in the room on the left and you'll be there.